The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that pays tribute to heroes of the past by telling their stories today. I'm Gabe Lusier, and today we're reflecting on the appalling death of William Wallace, one of the most venerated freedom fighters of the First War of Scottish Independence. As a warning, today's episode includes a graphic description of a public execution and may be disturbing for some listeners. The day was August 23rd, 1305. Sir William Wallace was put to death in London for alleged treason against King Edward I of England. Although he faced one of the grisliest executions ever recorded, Scotland's national hero remained defiant till the end, arguing that it was impossible for him to be a traitor as he had never pledged loyalty to the British crown. Nonetheless, Wallace was sentenced to die in one of the worst ways imaginable by being hung, drawn, and quartered. His life has since been romanticized in countless poems, stories, and movies, and today he is still revered by many as a symbol of Scottish independence. Wallace's excruciating death was brought about by the years he had spent leading the first organized resistance against English rule in Scotland. Through much of the 13th century, Scotland had been a peaceful nation under the rule of Alexander III. But his death in 1286 kicked off a succession crisis, as the crown was passed to three-year-old Margaret, the maid of Norway, only for her to die too, just four years later. Hoping to avoid a civil war, Scottish nobles asked Edward I of England to arbitrate their competing claims to the throne. The English king agreed to help, but as soon as John Balliol was chosen as the new monarch, Edward began undermining his authority in an effort to impose himself as ruler. 
Then, in 1296, Edward dropped all the pretense and officially invaded Scotland. By that time, William Wallace was in his late 20s to early 30s and likely already had military experience, possibly as an archer. Unfortunately, little is known about his early life, and even his parentage is open to debate. For a long time, historians believed Wallace was born to a noble family in Eldersley, Renfrewshire. But more recently, evidence has come to light which suggests he was actually born to Alan Wallace, a tenant farmer in Ayrshire. Whatever the truth of his origins, Wallace first came to prominence in May of 1297 when he led an uprising in Lanark and killed the town sheriff, who was loyal to England. According to a 15th century poet named Blind Harry, Wallace's first major act of defiance was in retaliation for the murder of his wife, Marion Braidfute. That may be true, but there's not much evidence one way or the other outside of Harry's epic poem. What we do know is that Wallace's action at Lanark sparked a full-blown rebellion among ordinary Scottish citizens. Hundreds of men flocked to his side, and together they engaged in numerous skirmishes against King Edward's invading army. They began driving the English out of Fife and Perthshire, and by that September they had joined forces with other military leaders, including a young squire named Andrew Murray. On September 11th, Wallace and Murray co-led the Scottish army to a pivotal victory at the Battle of Stirling Bridge. The Scots were badly outnumbered, but they managed to force the English to cross the bridge, thereby limiting the effectiveness of their superior numbers. Having proven their competency on the battlefield, both Wallace and Murray were subsequently knighted and given the title Guardian of Scotland. This effectively made them the co-heads of state, as the new King of Scotland, John Balliol, had been forced to abdicate the previous year. Unfortunately, that partnership proved short-lived, as Sir Andrew Murray soon died from injuries sustained on the battlefield. That left Wallace as the sole guardian of Scotland, a position which he used to organize further raids, not only in his home country, but in England as well. Those brazen campaigns enraged King Edward I and severely weakened his grip on Scotland. But in July of 1298, Edward's army struck back at the Battle of Falkirk, overpowering the Scots and delivering a crushing defeat. William Wallace escaped with his life that day, but he was so ashamed by the loss that he later resigned his guardianship, ceding the title to John Comyn, the nephew of John Balliol, and to Robert the Bruce, the future King of Scotland. Not much is known about Wallace's movements during this time, but at some point he traveled to France to seek support for the Scottish cause. He returned in 1303 and was dismayed to learn that, in his absence, Robert the Bruce had accepted a truce with Edward I. The following year, John Comyn did the same, but Wallace refused to come to terms. He continued the fight for Scottish independence until August 5, 1305, when he was betrayed by a Scottish knight who had secretly sworn allegiance to England. Wallace was captured near Glasgow briefly held at Dumbarton Castle, and then transported to London later that month. On August 23rd, he was taken to Westminster Hall, 
where he was given a show trial with no juries, lawyers, or even the chance to defend himself. Wallace's death was a foregone conclusion, but Edward I wanted to make an example of him to send a message to the other holdouts of the Scottish Rebellion. After being found guilty of treason and sentenced to die, Wallace reportedly spoke out against the charge, but since the accounts of what he said only appeared centuries later, they were more than likely fabrications. That said, the common theme in all of the reports rings true. Namely, that Wallace wasn't a traitor because he had owed no allegiance to England in the first place. Once the mock trial had ended, Wallace was taken to Smithfield in central London to be executed that same day. His death would not be a swift one, as once again Edward I wanted to send a message to other would-be rebels. To that end, Wallace was first stripped naked and tied to a wooden post, which was then dragged through the streets of London by horses for about five miles. He was ridiculed and pelted with excrement along the way, and when he returned to the Smithfield Square, that's when the real pain began. Wallace was hanged and strangled, but taken down while still alive and semi-conscious. Next, his bones were pulled from their sockets by ropes attached to his limbs. He was then disemboweled and castrated, and several of the organs torn from his body were burned before his eyes. Only then, after hours of torment, was William Wallace allowed to die. He was beheaded and quartered, and as a final insult, his head was dipped in tar and stuck on a pike on London Bridge, a warning to other dissenters. His limbs were also divvied up for public display at Newcastle, Berwick, Stirling, and Perth. In the end, the brutal death of William Wallace did send a message to his countrymen, but not the one King Edward had intended. The rest of Scotland was emboldened by his sacrifice, and the following year, Robert the Bruce assumed the throne and mounted a new rebellion. The fighting continued for more than a decade, but eventually, Scotland secured its independence, meaning that William Wallace did not die in vain. Today, there are monuments to his courage all over the country, including a 67-meter tower on a hilltop overlooking Stirling, the site of his most famous victory. Many artists have paid tribute to Wallace over the years, but these days, the most well-known account of his life is the Academy Award-winning film Braveheart. Released in 1995, the movie was loosely based on the famous poem by Blind Harry and stars Mel Gibson as Scotland's legendary crusader. Although it certainly has its merits, Braveheart takes more than a few liberties with the story and definitely shouldn't be taken as an accurate account of Scottish history. In fact, even the film's title is questionable as Braveheart is a moniker associated not with William Wallace, but with Robert the Bruce. After the king's death, Sir James Douglas was tasked with taking Robert's severed heart on a tour of the Holy Land, and during a battle, he supposedly spoke to it, saying, quote, Lead on, Braveheart. I'll follow thee. To be fair, the epithet Braveheart does seem like a fitting description of Sir William Wallace, but its misattribution is still one of the many reasons why you shouldn't get your history lessons from Mel Gibson. I'm Gabe Lussier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. 
You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can always send them my way by writing to thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.